Criterion creeps are coming with Jared and RJ from Renoir to Kurosawa and everything along the way. Highbrow, lowbrow, they won't stop until the This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. Oh, RJ, Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're reminiscing about our mortal coils while dying of cancer while watching some yeah. spine number 101 of the Criterion Collection. Ingmar Bergman's Cries and Whispers from 1972. But first, RJ, how do mm. you find yourself this week? Hmm? What do you mean? <laughs> what, what kind of cryptic ass question is How that? How goes you? I'm fine. Don't start a podcast with that. Start with some pizzazz, man. Like, who would win in a fight, Kirk Douglas or Billy Crystal? Who would win in that fight? Kirk Douglas now from the grave versus Ooh. Billy Crystal. Have you seen Billy Crystal lately? The state of him? I have. It's, I have. It's something right out of a nightmare. Yeah. Well, whenever we have him on the show, we'll ask him about how he's alive. Why? Or why do you want to be alive still? Why do you want to be alive, man? Your life looks like pain. Uh, I'm fine. I don't really got much going on. Pretty no. regular week, to be honest. Yeah. Are you staying regular? I usually stay pretty regular. Mm-hmm. I usually go in the morning and then uh, again after uh, work. Uh, sometimes I go three times in a day. Uh, I've been told that that's a little much, but, you know, I think that's probably right around where you want to be you know what i think uh we're just you know doing what we need to do talking Mm -hmm. about shitting here on this podcast about the criterion collection hey if anyone's listening to this intro part they're definitely not (laughs) that invested in the criterion aspect of it jesus see look (laughs) we we have guys flaming all over the place talking about dumps and butts this is this is the worst podcast I've ever heard. Yeah, so the uh, the, the morning after uh, staying up all night, getting that fucking almost three-hour episode uh, put together, <laughs> yeah. I woke up sick. That was my reward for uh, getting that out there. Couldn't have happened to and, a worse uh, person. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on the I'm on the mend though. I'm getting better. Yeah, that was a long episode we did last week. Eh? Mm-hmm. Why did that happen so much? I don't know. Just sometimes hmm. we get into that flow, I guess. Uh, hey, RJ. Flow. Yo, we got we got some feedback. Unless you want to talk oh. about, unless, unless you want to hear, uh, I don't know about your week or something like that. No, nothing cool happened with me. Hit me with some sweet feedback. Well, RJ, we got two pieces of feedback. Nice. Uh, one was via our YouTube page. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this popped, it's finally this, paying this, off for us. Yeah, eh? this this popped up under our uh, La Ventura uh, episode oh, oh. Uh, from one Dan Durbridge, uh, oh, oh. and he writes. A podcast hosted by dummies, and here he's written dummies uh, as a singular possessive. Um, Mm. I think what he was going for is just a simple uh, plural of dummies, Mm -hmm. I guess. Dummy. Yeah, dummies, I-E-S. This is a dummies possessive thing, so thank Mm. you. Uh, 
please stick to Back to the Future or American Sniper. It's more your speed. And he didn't use a comma there either. So uh, thank you, Dan Burbridge. Um, I guess we all, I don't know, should La Ventura be the uh, the measure of all cinema and whether or not someone's oh, worth, worth, worth their grain of salt? I don't know. I don't know. No, that movie sucks. <laughs> I like how people get so like we we've had two negative reviews and it's about like when I when mostly I don't like the movie we're talking about, like 400 blows or La Ventura. It's just mm-hmm. like people get real butthurt about <laughs> when, when other people don't like validate their opinion. Hey, eh? like who gives a shit if we don't like your movie? I'm guessing that's why he's mad about because oh. if he was listening on the YouTube, he was only listening to the Criterion review portion. He wasn't even listening to any of this garbage. Well, so like, I, I'm sure he, I'm sure this garbage wouldn't uh, change his opinion too much. I guess. Well, no, that's what I mean. <laughs> but I feel like we at least try a little bit for when we talk about the actual Criterion movie. So. Mm-hmm. That that's my point is, he he must be a big Leventura fan, which I find laughable, uh, because that movie stinks. Uh, and you know what? It's fine. Whatever. If you like that movie, that's cool. I know we have fans that like that movie. Yeah. I just don't. So who give? That's yeah. that's what we were saying. Remember? It's funny you brought this up because last week you were talking about how we haven't had negative review for a while, <laughs> and then also who gives a shit about opinions because nobody's opinions matter. So. Hey, if you like the movie, you like the movie. Go for it, girl. I like I love Sister Act. I'm not gonna get mad when someone else doesn't like it. I, I don't know. Anyways, the, I, but I guess like my other thing is like, what's wrong with Back to the Future? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. <laughs> like, Jesus. American Sniper. I can get a little. What did I scream at you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. My bad, boys. And like, I don't well, know. Amer- American Sniper. I'm like, oh, I would never watch that movie. Like, okay. I mean, come on. Yeah, I know, but I feel like American Sniper and Back to the Future are weirdly out of place because, A, we've never talked about those movies, and B, we've never mentioned anything even similar to those movies, especially not in the LaVentura review. I don't remember being like, oh, you know what this movie could have used? High-velocity sniper rifles Mm -hmm. and fake babies and Bradley Cooper. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with Back to the Future. Isn't that a universally... Mm. Uh, beloved film. Unless you're a uh, snooty pants watching their Italian <laughs> movies about malaise. <laughs> malaise forever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Nice. Th- thanks, Dan. Uh, got we have uh, an email from nice. uh, a new a new fan. No. One Rowan. He wrote hmm. uh, titled "Fan Letter." Hey guys, listener from Australia here. Ooh. Only just started listening a couple of weeks ago, and now this is my favorite podcast. Hey. And I have started creeping through the Criterion Collection myself, along with you guys. My favorite of your episodes so far was Dead Ringers. Anyway, nice. keep up the good work. Regards, Rowan. P.S. What do each of you think is Stanley Kubrick's best film? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, first I will say uh, that's nice to finally hear from a new person. Because mm-hmm. uh, our two boys have abandoned us. <laughs> They've abandoned us like Daniel Day-Lewis abandoned his boy. I'm just kidding. Maybe one day they'll email back in, but uh, sure. it's nice nice to hear from uh, from I, a new person. Uh, it seems, yeah, it seems like a lot of our uh, listeners, they're all uh, uh, colonialists, often these like places <laughs> like South Africa and New Zealand, Australian. Uh, Australia, and I guess Canada too is a colony. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe we'll have a similar taste in things. Um, so yeah. Thanks, Rowan. Uh, yeah, I don't know about what my favorite Stanley Kubrick is. Like, I, 
like, I think my list on Letterboxd, my top 100 movies or something like that. I've got like three or four Kubricks. Mm-hmm. Um, some like I was just thinking about Barry Lyndon the other day. I think that movie I've only ever seen it once, but I remember that mm-hmm. movie like I loved it. But um, that 2001's pretty amazing. Uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, mm-hmm. Shining. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's crazy uh, how many great movies and like how few movies he really made. He made mm-hmm. so. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with you. I think uh, I think his best movies are The Shining and 2001. I don't know. Like, I think some people might like say Full Metal Jacket or Doctor Strangelove or something. But I think yeah. those two are the best. Uh, I would say my favorite is probably Clockwork Orange. I watched that when I was a little kid, and I shouldn't have. And uh, when I was in when I was in grade seven, I went as uh, what's his name, Alex, like yeah. the main character. I went as him for Halloween, like, like Bart Simpson. Yeah, just like Bart Simpson. Uh, exactly. Um, I think Clockwork Orange is probably my favorite. But you know what one I I like a lot actually that doesn't get a lot of credit or not credit, but doesn't get as uh, hailed as much as all the others. Uh, the Killing. I think is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's there's a lot to pick from. Like, even just like a Eyes Wide Shut's the only one I've ever actually got to see in theater. Uh, yeah, because it was like the big deal when it came out, and uh, I had was just like at the time. I think I wrote a book report on oh, not, not a book report, like some sort of like project in social studies where you're supposed to write like on a famous person, and then like. Stanley Kubrick had just died and I was like I'm going to write about this Stanley Kubrick and I had never seen a movie by him I didn't even know who he was but I thought he had like this great like photo of him just like weird eyed bearded dude Mm -hmm. and I was like I'm going to write about him and I wrote this whole thing knowing nothing about it other than just regurgitating information I was reading about it but then I found out oh he's one of the great directors of the 20th century and uh, Mm -hmm. I think by the that Christmas I had bought or my parents had bought me for Christmas uh, the Stanley Kubrick collection this big white cube on VHS Mm-hmm. And I watched all those except for Barry Lyndon because for whatever reason that was one like that movie looks boring and so it was like uh-huh. years before I got into watching it and I was like what the fuck was my thinking that movie was great um, yeah but yeah hmm. well I you know what I'm gonna give you a curveball I'm gonna say the killing the killing gonna, eh yeah because I I think it would be Clockwork Orange that's probably my favorite but uh, you know what I'm gonna give some attention to some lesser known Kubricks I think the killing is pretty good. Well, I know when I got my Blu-ray player finally uh, several years ago, the first movie mm-hmm. I popped in to give it a whirl on was 2001. So I there you go. guess I'll it's, go with that one. <laughs> it's a little hard to pick, man. I mean, he, he's he's the coolest. So, Do, do you think Dr. Strangelove is one of the funniest movies ever made? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I think it's a very entertaining movie yeah, that I like that, watching. That looks amazing and is interesting, but yeah, I don't, I don't, get the love that one gets a lot but mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's great too maybe but you just don't get it man yeah I, there's a lot of things i don't get i should stick to back to the future and american sniper yeah exactly <sighs> anyway thanks for the feedback it's always appreciated uh yeah, hey rj what you been creeping on oh fuck too much man for you too too much uh i i'll, I'll just uh before i start i'll say that uh there was some nice feedback there. What did you say the person's name was? Rowan. Rowan. I nice. do believe he's also a letterbox user who just recently ah, followed us. I see. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'm going to creep through his stuff uh, real personal mm-hmm. like later. Anyways, I creeped on a lot of stuff this week, Jared. Yeah. More than I should have. Uh, I'm going to start with the big daddy here because <laughs> I know you've wanted to talk about this for a long time. But I watched uh, a movie by our boy, Yurgos Lanth. Uh, Lanthimos. 
You know, the lobster guy. That Greek guy. Yeah, uh, so I watched Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Uh, much to uh, your pleasure, because I know you've been waiting a long time to uh, talk about it. Uh, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Talk about, uh, you know what? This was a good transition, because I thought this was a very Kubrick-like. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's it's so much like one of his movies, but so very different. Um, I don't know. Do you want to... Do you want to talk about Killing of the Sacred Deer? Well, you want me to you, hit, hit you, you mean, for a while? You just watched it, so it's probably fresh right. in your mind than mine. But uh, do you want me to talk about what the movie is about at all, or just yeah, kind go of for it? You might be, at this point, because I, I couldn't talk about it specifically when I brought it yeah. up because you didn't know. So go for it. Because now so, it's now it's spoiler time for Killing of a Sacred Deer. If, okay, yeah, if anyone gives a crap. So Killing of a Sacred Deer is this weird piece of cinema. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so call you open up you see Colin Farrell he is a surgeon and you meet his weird family uh, Nicole Kidman who's very robotic uh, their daughter what a what a surprise what a surprise she's well cast at least yeah yeah like I th- I thought everyone always, was always a, always a doctor's wife always a doctor's wife never a doctor am I right except when she is except when she is yeah uh, so she's there uh, there's a daughter who's kind of like okay i guess like she does the chores that she <laughs> what did you laugh at that she's okay well, i guess like well what? like i mean um they like ask her to do chores and like she kind of does them so i guess she's okay and then they have a saw so- a, a song uh, a son named bob who's like he's like i don't want to cut my hair dad i don't want to do my chores dad so you're like oh this kid's gonna be like that is he so you see them in their life and it's very um disconnected they're very like detached from things and cold and even the way they speak is very mechanical uh, which i love like it, this was kind of like how it was in the lobster too but the way colin farrell is in these movies is like fantastic like yeah. he's so good at this just being like this weird like i don't know how to describe it other than how i did like this detached like not detached that's not the word disconnected maybe but he's, he's like his words like there's no emotion to them or there's like no feeling to anything he says. It just seems like everything he's saying is like being said to be said, if that yeah. makes sense. Yes. Um, so you see their family like that. And then you're introduced to this teenage character uh, who's kind of an oddball and him and Colin Farrell are hanging out and you're kind of wondering what the relationship between these two people are. Why uh, like a 50 year old one, maybe not 50, like 40 five-year-old Colin Farrell would hang out with this teenage boy. He, like, buys him lunch, and he buys him presents, and you're like, what is this? Uh, And then later, you find out that uh, the boy's dad died, um, and it was at the hospital that Colin Farrell works at, and it was when Colin Farrell was performing surgery on him. Mm -hmm. And so you find this out, and then you also see that the boy is, like, trying to get Colin Farrell involved in his life more, like, with uh, him and his mom and stuff. And then Colin Farrell's kids get sick. They can't move their legs, and they can't walk anymore. And they're in the hospital, and no one can figure out what it is. Colin Farrell being very, like, science-based doctor, he's, like, trying to find exact reasons for it, but no one really understands what's going on. And in the meantime, he's kind of like pushing aside the kid that he met, uh, that he was giving presents to. By then already, before the kids get sick, he's like, I can't really hang out with you anymore. I think it's like he's informed of what's going to happen before they get sick. 
Kind of, yeah. See, like that part I thought was a yeah. little bit vague because he's told that there's a choice he has to make, and then well, yeah, but yeah. the kids are sick at that by that point. Really? Bob is oh, the see, son is mm, not the daughter. See, my mind in my in my memory, he they they don't start getting sick until after he's told that, and then yeah. it, it happens really quickly afterwards. But so uh, the son is sick, Bob is sick, and he's in the hospital for like a day. Like, and so they don't really know anything yet, but it, they haven't like found out yet that um, that they don't know what is going on. Right. So it's like uh, the son is sick, and then Colin Farrell's like trying to ditch this kid. He's like, listen, he's like, look, I can't hang out with you anymore. I don't want to date your mom. Like, you you have to leave me alone. And then uh, the boy, uh, he's a little bit rushed, and he says, all right, listen. He's like, I gotta. His name's Martin. Martin's like, all right, I'm going to lay it down for you real fast since you don't have time. It's like, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. Jesus, I can't talk today, hey? Uh, A sacrifice. He's like, you're going to have to kill one member of your family or they're all going to develop this sickness and die. It's like, first, they can't move their legs. Then they can't, like, move at all. And then uh, their eyes bleed and then they die. So, like, Colin Farrell doesn't believe him. uh, And then the daughter gets sick. So she's sick as well. And then they move the kids back home. And it's kind of Colin Farrell trying to make a decision on whether or not he believes it and whether or not he needs to kill a single family member to save all of the family. Is that pretty well what Killing of a Sacred Deer is about? Yeah, and I mean, when you describe it, it just sounds like, oh, it's going to be like this sort of pot boiler kind of thing. Like, it doesn't, I don't know. It it's not, though. It doesn't sound interesting yeah. in some ways, other than, oh, that sounds very dramatic, and, like, it'll sound like it'll appeal to, like, your mm-hmm. mom, but it's like, no, this movie won't appeal to your mom, because it's, like, so deadpan, and, like, the dialogue is so stylized, and uh, mm-hmm. the way things play out, uh, and, like, the yeah, the dark humor of this thing. Um, yeah. yeah. It's definitely got some dark turn to it like uh oh. talk is i think i was just plugging some in the way that they talk is like so unnatural and like stilted that it's it, i think if you weren't like wanting to watch a movie like this you would not like it like this isn't this isn't casual viewing you just pop up pop on like in the afternoon you're like i'm gonna watch killing of the sacred deer <laughs> Well that, uh, well, that title, I mean, that's that's yeah. your giveaway. But uh, I was going to say one other thing I noticed. Uh, we have another Oscar crossover thing uh, with Martin, Barry Keoghan. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, he is in Dunkirk as well. Yes, I think I so, saw uh, that. So this, this is the year that actors were just in every movie. But And, uh, and this movie got nothing for nominations. Nope. It's too bad. I It should have got like a would – would this be original screenplay? Yeah. I guess yeah i w- it should have got that got, maybe like cinematography and direction should have been nominated for everything to be honest so did you watch this with uh, andrea i did yeah. i did <laughs> uh she she didn't hate it uh she didn't love it she liked parts of it she really liked like she really liked aspects of it but then she didn't like other parts where she was like Ugh. like um one thing also I was like, eh, I don't know if that needs to be in there. There's a few sexual things, uh, talks of ejaculating men and uh, <laughs> hand jobs of men in parking lots. And even I was like, it doesn't totally need to be in there, but uh, I, I get it. So um, This is why was, you don't make movies, RJ. Yeah, <laughs> good call. Um, 
no she she liked it for the most part uh when it was over she was just trying to figure it out she was like um she's like what the fuck she's like was the daughter like she she thinks that the daughter was in on it for the thing she's like there's something weird here she's like look at the way they look at each other in like this final scene and like she's like maybe uh maybe the daughter was faking it because there is that scene where she like can get up and stuff like that so it was like, and then Andrea did some deep digging into what this movie was based off of, that Greek tragedy. And it was about a daughter who gets sacrificed for like the sake of an army or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were, we did a lot of speculating and, um, a mat, like trying to figure out where like, what does this mean? <laughs> like, what did it mean? But, uh, no, it was very good. I like, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I think for me, what sealed the deal was, uh, the like kind of final scene where uh, Colin Farrell makes his non-choice, and I yeah. think that is just like the, the most hilarious thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't. I don't want to ruin that because like it's like it pays off so well. Because um, mm-hmm. like there was always these weird comparisons to it and uh, Michael Haneke's Funny Games, and I was like, what are these okay. people talking about? Like, it's kind of got that style, that type of story as a Michael Haneke movie, but then it gets to the end. I'm like. Oh, and then it just goes into overdrive in th- that direction. And I'm like, yep, that's great. What a mm-hmm. what, what a wonderful movie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, it's it's very good. It's it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe. It's like I said, I I just I gave you basically like a rundown of what the movie is. Yep. But even even when you've seen it and you hear that, you're like, that doesn't really sound like what that movie is about, right? Because it's not really. It's this weird kind of thing. I would um, in case he hasn't, I would suggest that uh, old uh. Rowan there gives it a, a view because it is very Kubricky. Yeah, there's some uh, real Kubrick style shots. Very shining, I think, is like the one I've, I kept yeah. thinking of because it's like that weird uh, kind of like God's eye view shot of like hallways mm-hmm. and people walking toward it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like Kubrick, but if like everyone had like a weird speech thing and like couldn't talk right. Or they, yeah, they talked in this strange, like, yeah, they're not humanoids in the mm-hmm. traditional sense. <laughs> Well, Nicole Kidman isn't. Have you ever seen that video of her clapping her hands? Oh, her yeah. fingers are like super fucking long. Yeah, you were obsessed with that. It's so weird, man. She's an alien. Yeah. That Invasions of the Body Snatchers movie, that wasn't fiction. <laughs> you know? Anyways, so uh, then I watched some other Jared picks. Um, oh, no. I watched uh, The Room by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> well, you... you... Uh, <coughs> oh gross was, was this a pick of mine or was this like um well like, it was leading you, into you, you, need, you need to watch this so need, you can watch the yeah. other movie yeah i needed to watch it so i could watch disaster artists and i'm not i have nothing like funny or intelligent to say about the room like yeah it's it's fucking weird there's some pretty goofy stuff there's some pretty funny stuff um i watched it alone on a saturday <laughs> afternoon by in my basement. So mm-hmm. I don't think I got as much out of it as if I was in a crowd of people, but I think that's fine because like having watched it alone, I was like, yeah, it's not good, no. but you know what? I've seen worse. I've seen worse movies. <sighs> yeah, probably riding the bullet by uh shit. Garris. That's a worse <laughs> movie than the room. There you go. Yeah. So uh, I, I've seen worse, but uh, yeah, I watched that movie and I was like, all right, neat. I'm uh, jazzed up here for uh the disaster artist and i watched that uh andrea was gone and i was like i'm gonna watch this because i don't think she would be into it whether it's funny or not i was like i don't think she's into that bad movie deal so uh but i did think she would want to watch disaster artist and uh she did and she liked it a lot and so did i man i thought it was really good 
Um, this is, as you mentioned, the biggest snub of the year is that uh, our buddy James Franco, who even after we watched it, Andrew is like, she's like, he's not nominated. I was like, no, he isn't. She's like, that's bullshit. She's like, he would have won because out of what we've watched so far, she's like, he's the best actor I've seen so far. Way better than any of these other jerks. We haven't seen Phantom Thread yet, but um, he he stands out, man. Like he is in, like amazing in this movie. I think. Yeah, he holds the he holds that thing together, and like you're always like watching him and paying attention to everything, and especially like I don't know, like because you watch The Room and then you watch Disaster Artist, and you yeah. see like how much like stuff he brings into that. And it's, brings over. Yeah. It's like wow, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it really, it really is amazing. Like he did a really fucking good job. And one of the other things too, I was thinking is like, do you know? Because he directed it too, right? Yeah. Do you know how fucking hard it would be to just like recreate some of these scenes the way that they do? Like they're shot for shot, like the same. It's like that's not like it would be. Not, it wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> I think it would be hard. To, no. I think it would be hard. But anyways, he he does a really good job, and uh, I think. Uh, when we were watching it, what really bu- was bugging Andrea, she's like, who is this fucking guy? She's like, how does he have so much money? Where was he born? Like, she's like, why does nobody know this? I was like, I don't know. Nolans. Yeah, Nolans from the Bayou. <laughs> I was born in the Bayou. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Disaster Artist was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, James Franco is pretty dope, man. I, uh, I wish he stuck to stuff like this instead of like Faulkner novels. Because uh, those that's like the other or, stuff he makes, like Sound uh, of the Fury. And, well, uh, he also did that uh, Child of God, uh, Cormac McCarthy yeah. book, which I've watched. And it's just like, at the end of the day, she's like, yeah, that was not a good movie. And uh, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like badly made or anything like that. But just like at the end of the day, you're like, oh, this wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I've brought, I brought this up in the past. Like, I, I think James Franco, like him and I are kind of on the same wavelength as far as stuff that we are into and like um mm-hmm. and so i don't know he just has to figure out how to make i don't know disaster artist is probably the best thing he's made so far like i think so yeah, yeah like with hands down i think but we'll see yeah. we'll see how the rest of his uh career plays out hopefully well i mean mm-hmm. it seems like people want like hating on that guy because he kind of he got pretty pretentious for a little while there um for a while but i don't know He'll he'll, yep. he'll he'll grow out of it. He'll he'll be okay. That kid will be fine. Yeah, I think he's okay. I don't think he's getting too much uh, grief. I, even though he uh, isn't going to win the Oscar he earned, no. but whatever. Uh, so yeah, Disaster Riders, very good. I'm keeping things light today, Jared. I don't want to get too into any movie. Oh, okay. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I got like nine other movies to talk about. Um, I watched this movie called Ingrid Goes West. Have you heard of this thing? Yes. This is on uh, the, the Netflix. Netflix. Yes. Uh-huh. So this is on the Netflix. And uh, from the people that I follow, it gets pretty high ratings, pretty well received. Yep. Um, we popped this sucker on uh, one night because it looked like an Andy pick. Uh, so this movie is about mental illness. Uh, it stars a young Aubrey Plaza, and she is obsessed with people on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, like with a, a few in particular. But uh, it opens with a scene where a, a, one of the ladies she's like obsessed with, she goes and like maces her because she wasn't invited to a function. And then you see like the fa- impending like restraining order and her being like living in filth, kind of like eating bad stuff, like 
using foam books for toilet paper, just overall dirty things. You would love it. You would love that kind of filth. Um, and then, so the point of this movie is she's like, the person she was stalking doesn't want to see her anymore and she can't legally. So she tries to find someone new to stalk. So she sees in a magazine, uh, a, a hip Elizabeth Olsen is the internet, the new internet girl. She's Instagram famous. Uh, and she lives in LA or some shit like that. I don't know. So anyways, uh, Aubrey Plaza goes out there and starts stalking her there and does things like kidnaps her dog so that they can, she can bring it back so that she can talk to her and then sets up all this stuff to like force ways to like be with her. And I don't know. Anyways, so this movie has good parts. Uh, it's definitely uncomfortable to watch, which I think is like the point sometimes. And it's like, it's kind of a good movie depicting like serious, like mental problems kind of, but then this movie gets like, it's got some weird shit in it too. Like, uh, I'm just going to spoil it here. So the way this movie ends is she, uh, attempts suicide and she lives. And then when she wakes up, she, re uh, she learns that she's internet famous because she like posted the video of her trying to kill herself on the internet. And then that's just how it ends. It's like her smiling at all this, like acclaim she gets on her, or like all, all these people trying to talk to her and how she has fans now. Like she's like totally validated now and yeah. i thought that was really gross and um i don't like stuff like that because i was like this isn't like i was like i know that this is the point of the movie you're like trying to showcase this thing but i was like but this also gives this weird message where it's like uh, hey look maybe if you try to kill yourself you'll get famous on instagram and I, people will like you which is kind of true i know <laughs> but i know like that's what i mean i know that's the point but at the same time i was like i don't like this so <laughs> it might just be like it's it's a well put together movie um it does its job i just personally mm. i didn't like it very much so okay other people might like it that's fine did uh, anything that i was talking about did that interest you in any way um, not really. Like, I know this movie exists. I've seen a few other people yeah. see it and talk about it. Not like, no one's like saying, you got to go out of your way to watch it. So mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to watch it ever. Um, unless yep. I get interested in the director or something like that at some later point or writer. But like, there's just like, there's so many movies I could watch and this isn't one of them. Like even on Netflix, there's like so much stuff I would watch. So, uh, yep. no, this isn't, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds, it sounds sad bastardy, which is kind of my it wheelhouse. So there's yeah. that aspect to it. That's like, oh, I should watch this sometime, but mm -hmm. it's not like, it sounds like it's like, Oh, it's a movie. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, it definitely falls in that camp of sad bastard losers. Cause she is like sad, but it, I don't know. It just wasn't my thing. All right. But you know what, what is my thing? Hmm. Another Netflix movie by my boy. Osgood Perkins. Oh. I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Yeah. So I finally watched this bad boy. Finally, finally brushed that off. And uh, I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. I didn't love it uh, or anything like that. Not like Black Cold's Daughter where after I watched it, I was like, fuck me. Because uh, that's how I felt after that one. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is just a really, really terrific like first movie. The way he, he already has like a a feel and a tone the way he kind of shows stuff like all the things I liked in black coat's daughter, like his kind of a uh, slow pacing on things and 
the way he builds up tension and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's all here. He just he learned how to do it better in his second movie. Well, this was, uh, this, this was his second movie, though. Was it? Yes. Oh, shit. Because Black Coat's Daughter was like made way like it took forever for it to finally come out in North America. Well, bygone, you got me, man. No. Uh, but anyways, it's got all the stuff like that that I really like. Um, the story itself, uh, I think is pretty good. Uh, I really like ghost stories. I think ghosts are cool. I used to be really scared as ghosts and aliens when I was a little kid. So um, I like ghost stories. And I think this one is good. Like, it's not... It's nothing like totally groundbreaking, but at the same time, it's not something I've seen a bunch of times either. Because you, it could, it could have went that way if they added like lots of CGI and uh, jump scares and stuff like that. There's like one jump scare in this, I think. The rest of it is mostly just kind of building dread or tension. Is it the phone? Uh, uh, There's that, and then there's a scene where she's trying to get the TV to work. And she's clicking it a bunch. And then one of the times where she flicks the channel and the it goes black, there's someone standing in the yeah. doorway. That's about it, though. Okay. I think the rest of it is pretty good. Like, um, Did you uh, take my advice of watching this movie in darkness? Yes, I did. Good. Yeah, I watched it in total darkness, man. Uh, full dark. Um, and it was, it was great for that. Uh, there was a couple times that I was a little uneasy watching it. Mm-hmm. I, it's I, not super I, spooky, but... Yeah, whatever. I mean... I think this movie, like the thing that still sticks out with to me is that opening sequence, uh, like just like the opening shot of the figure kind of moving across the screen. Mm-hmm. And because of the like, uh, I guess like it's like slow motion in like time yeah. lapse and delay and whatnot. Like it's so like beautiful in a way that like, yeah. I don't know, there's that part of it that like that totally. And I was reading my review of it again after I saw you watched it. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, right. There's like that like the narration of the movie which is like all the yep. the prose which like I remember being like this is actually really well written like this is yep. actually like really good and like cause usually when there's like that stuff in these movies it's really bad and dumb and like broad and it's like uh, no one would actually be a successful writer or anything like that if they wrote this way mm-hmm. but like in this it's like oh no this is actually quite good like I could see this being yeah. in like someone's uh, like body of work that people would mm-hmm. talk about yeah no it's it's really well written and uh there's a couple it's not just in the uh, intro there's a couple segments where it's that kind of slow moving uh like just a figure in, in the black and it, it works really well with the narration because they're talking about like a smudge on a window basically and the person's face is kind of like distorted a little bit but they like kind of walk into better clarity uh that stuff is really cool i also um another line that i really liked was the old lady's like, you turned around like so many times, your feet were facing the wrong way or something like that. Yeah. And I, I like, I remember I, I was watching that. I was like, that's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> and then the ghost has like her feet are the wrong way and her head is turned around. And I thought that like, I thought that was a really cool image. I was like, I like that, man. Mm-hmm. I dig it. So um, I am the pretty thing that uh, lives in the house. Uh, I really liked it. I, I don't think it's as good as Black Coat's daughter, no. but uh, um. I like this Oz Perkins, man. Uh, I hope he can do that head full of ghosts better than the book did. Right. Because uh, I think I've mentioned before. I, we talked about it last week. But yeah. um, I like Oz Perkins, man. He's a cool dude. Nice. So should I talk about some other stuff? Yeah, why not? Uh, so I watched Q, the Winged Serpent. Some Larry by your, Cohen. Yeah, your buddy Larry Cohen, director of The Stuff. Um... I don't know why I watched this. 
I think it was because like I was looking at this stack of movies that some jerk lent me. And uh, I was like, hey, that Q, that's kind of like all that 50s sci-fi I've been watching lately. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, I was like, I'm going to throw that bad boy on. Um, and uh, I thought, so Q the Winged Serpent is about uh, this like Aztec cult that are murdering and flaying people to resurrect this giant dinosaur thing. Quaxalotl or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or Q for short. Yeah. Because Nobody can pronounce it. Uh, that's basically what this movie is about. Yep. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I, like it's not amazing or anything like that, but uh, the stuff it does well, it does really well. Um, I like the Q, the winged serpent. It's like this really fleshy lizard thing, uh, and I think that is really good. Um, flapping Michael around, Mo- flapping around. Yeah, uh, Michael Moriarty is. Um, wicked good as the lead in this <laughs> yeah he reminds me of like bill burr like do you know bill burr the uh, comedian uh, vaguely the way they talk is uh, very much the same uh but i like him because he's like super sleazy right and everything he does he's like oh hey oh new york oh <laughs> it's like stuff like that which i think is really funny um david carradine is in this as well uh he doesn't really do much but he's well He's like a cop, and he shoots like machine guns and stuff like that. That's, so that's, that's cool. Pretty, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, no, this movie is good because you think it's kind of it's not really about the monster. It's about like Michael Moriarty's this kind of petty crook, and he keeps getting busted by the cops, and then he just kind of stumbles upon this nest where the the winged serpent thing lives. Right. And then uh, he gets taken in by the cops one time. And they find out like he knows where it is, and he uses it to blackmail the uh, like the New York City police. Basically, he's uh, he's like, all right, listen, I'll tell you where it is. You guys can go kill it Cause since because throughout the movie, the thing is kind of like killing people here and there. And uh, Michael Moriarty goes, he's like, you give me like a million dollars and uh, clear all of my like crime stuff, and uh, I'll let you know where it is. So that's mostly what this movie is about: is like him trying to blackmail the police, and then every 10 minutes or so you see the Q thing fly by and like eat someone. Yeah. And, uh, which, which I think is fun. I mean, it, it's cool. Cause they don't like, I think he, they knew it was like, we, we're not going to put too much focus on this monster thing, but, uh, when it does show up at the end, uh, it looks great. I think, I think they did a really good job with the effects. So it will stop motion. Yeah. Uh, so it was Q the wing serpent, man. I'm keep, I told you I'm keeping it light today. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Uh, it's been years and years and years since I watched it last. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm waiting for some asshole to give me my Blu-ray back. Hey, shut up. <laughs> I'll give it back to you when I see you next. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, okay, so I watched one last thing. Last day, and then this is going to be very brief. Uh, <laughs> me and Andrea watched Baywatch. Well, uh, the, yeah, uh, okay. So, the Dwayne Johnson film. Why? Because uh, it was on Netflix. Oh my god! And uh, I was working on my computer. Um, I was getting like I was doing some stuff, and uh, Andrew is like, I don't really, because we would normally we would be watching like TV right now, but TV's like all on their like break right now, so we have no TV shows to watch. And we finished Game of Thrones, so our life is just like fucking aimless. We're lost. Right. So uh, Andrew was just cruising on Netflix, and she's like, she's like, hey, here's The Rock. Don't you love The Rock? And I was like, I do. I do love The Rock. Uh, and she's like, well, I'm not really going to watch. I'll just be on my phone and you're not really watching. You're on your computer. So she's like, let's throw this thing on. 
so I, I will say, I'll start out by saying this movie actually has a couple pretty solid jokes. It actually has some good humor, some good one-liners, some zings, yeah. uh, a few things like that. Um, it's not total horseshit, but most of it is. It's yeah. not very good. Um, it's like uh, a movie they made for a couple 12 and 13-year-olds. Hmm. It's and even they didn't go to this movie. And even they didn't go. It's like dick and fart jokes, um, but not like... Because I love that stuff. I talk about that all the time. I think fart jokes are awesome. But it's not even that much. It's just... Some of it is like... Half of it is really lazy storytelling. Where like the plot of it, it's like, oh, there's someone blackmailing the beach. And it's like, we gotta get it. Like, that's really lazy. But then there are some jokes that are actually genuinely pretty funny. Like some of the... Between The Rock and Zac Efron and uh, Alexandra Daddario. Um, there's actually some good jokes, and I thought it was pretty funny. So I was a little bit bummed out. I was like, there's half of this movie is actually pretty... Half? Like the com- well, not half. The Some of the comedy portions of this movie are pretty good, but it gets way down like with all the other stuff. The action scenes aren't very good at all. Um, there, the climax is a firework shootout on like an oil rig, basically. Uh, and a lady gets blown up by a firework, um, by the rock, which sounds cool, but it doesn't really play out that well. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Zach Afron was pretty funny in this. Okay. So they, I don't know. There was, there were some good jokes, but on the whole, I can't really recommend it so i won't do you have any questions about baywatch no other than just like why why did you watch the bad movie just i don't know i i just like like skinned I'm like oh what did everyone else in my letterbox and lots of people watched it that i follow it seems like they're all masochists too and i was like because oh. on netflix dude yeah. well no it's, this is this is right at your fingers that, that was like i think some of those were even theatrical and it's like why see i'm not don't. that much of it yeah. Like, yeah, a rockhead. <laughs> I like the rock, man. No, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't get it. Well, nobody thought you would. No one asked. No one asked <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's not a Jarrett pick. But anyways, yeah. I watched a lot of stuff, eh? You did. Good job. What about you? Uh, I watched the movies. It's still February, and I've got a week <laughs> left in this Oscar movie watching shit. Uh. So I don't even know what I'm going to do. Did you watch Chicago? Uh, it's in, I'll have to ask you when I get to the end of this. So I finally watched the movie Ben-Hur. Ooh, uh, I had, you've never seen that? I'd never watched Ben-Hur in my life. I have seen it via clips and montages of Oscar stuff and Charlton yeah. Heston, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I've never actually seen this movie from start to finish. And I don't even think I ever watched it on TV. So this was... Uh, a virginal viewing. Um, and yeah, what can I say about this movie? That chariot scene, RJ, is mm-hmm. amazing. Like, top notch. Like, I was sucked into it so hard. And uh, I was like, man, oh, <laughs> like stunts and like uh-huh. and like dummies being used. And, oh, man, the way it shot, the, the, the constant rumbling during the mm-hmm. whole race. Um the intensity of those like collisions and stuff like that, it is just a marvel to watch, which is funny because it's like the actual director of Ben Hur didn't actually work on that part at all. Um, William Wyler, 
he just thought, I was like, I'm not working on that. So we had second unit people do it. And they, yeah, they did mm-hmm. a terrific job. Apparently even uh, Sergio Leone worked on it as an assistant. Really? Um, yeah. Spaghetti eating bastard. Yeah. Leone. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Ben-Hur, like, it's pretty, it's three and a half hours long. Yes, uh, it is. It goes by pretty quickly, I guess, considering its length. Because like, the first two hours are all set up for the chariot race. Um it's like it's stagey, but it mm-hmm. could be worse. I'm sure there's Bible epic stories that are like way more painful to get through. But I don't know. I, I would never probably watch Benner again by itself, but I would watch that chariot scene like as an example of like mm-hmm. editing and action filmmaking and stuff like that because it's really good it would it would just be a movie in itself you don't really need to know too too much it's like oh one guy doesn't like the other guy (laughs) and vice versa and now they're gonna have a race and it's sweet do uh do you think you feel like you found god now oh god no (laughs) no that that aspect is like real dated like yeah it's like i don't know what it's supposed to be doing it's convincing us about anything um you're just a bad person though when uh when the 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 bad guy when he uh gets trampled by horses uh there's like a shot that i'm like man this must be like one of martin scorsese's favorite shots because like when he does violence it looks so much Mm -hmm. like this and then i was wishing like oh man imagine if marty like shot ben her (laughs) like how much more violent this would be (laughs) like so hmm yeah. Well, I'm glad you watched Ben Hur, but I'm a little bit disappointed that you didn't convert. Like, yeah, yeah. I wasn't saved. I didn't accept Jesus into my heart. You know, I won't stop until I save you, you heathen. Yeah, yeah. And it's very blatant because there's like the whole thing with like Jesus always has his back to the camera, and then there's like the time when he's like straight on, but they've like blacked out his face, like literally with like a smudging on the film. It's really odd. Hmm. And I'm like, I was reading up why that is. And there's like something like, well, they didn't want people to like have a specific image of what Jesus looked like. And I'm like, who cares? Like, yeah. it's like, no one knows what he looked like. Come on. He, I, he looked like uh, Ewan McGregor. <sighs> a little bit. Right? A little bit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I like that you watched uh, this movie and it was really long. You could have watched Baywatch twice. It, it, two Actually, and a half no, times probably. No, Baywatch was two hours. No. It was an hour and 55 minutes. Fuck off. You're lying. I'm not lying. Oh. Look, it up. Look it up if you don't believe oh, me. Okay. Fuck Jesus. That's, that's, that's insane. Oh. oh. You fuck here? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Did I just ruin your day or what? Man, that's like no wonder people hate that movie. It's yeah. like that's bullshit. Uh, anyways, so then RJ, I watched The Apartment. And uh, this was a rewatch because I hadn't seen this RJ for a pick. very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is the old Billy Wilder movie with that Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, um, mm-hmm. and Fred McMurray. And yeah, this movie is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got that Conrad Hall cinematography uh, that looks so good. And mm-hmm. uh, great characters. Uh, it's got... Uh, it captures sadness in a way that is like real. It doesn't come off as cloying. Sad. Not cl- yeah. well. It is sad. That's what's. That's <laughs> how it's effective, I guess. Because it's like it feels like kind of a. It still feels like a 1960 comedy, but then it does yeah. these little things and it sucks you in because it's kind of lulled you into like thinking this is going to be a light little movie for the most part, and then it's like, yeah. no, this is really a bummer, man. These poor characters and. Um, it seems just like, like the whole thing, 
it's it is about this apartment and uh mm. you spend a lot of time in it it's kind of the opposite of the room <laughs> um the room or room the room okay yeah it's yes. also it's kind of different from room as well um, a little bit a little bit but, uh, have I talked about this show? You you did because you okay. watched it at yeah. some point and you, you you gushed hard about it. I think I, I think that movie is really good, man. Yeah, because I remember like for some reason you seemed to be like I think it's better than Sunset Boulevard. Like that was a controversial opinion. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm like but like yeah, they're both good. Like uh, is that a controversial opinion? No, you, at the time you seemed to be like I think it's better than Sunset Boulevard. And I'm like okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of people like can like one or the other more than no. the other. Yeah. You <laughs> so, like one or the other. <coughs> I'd have to watch Sunset Boulevard again. Uh, you don't want to do that. Just watch The Apartment again next Christmas. Uh, I'm, I'm good for now, I think. Uh, okay. so, and then, so I watched that. That movie holds up. I watched West Side Story again for the first time since high school, uh, grade 10. I think I watched mm-hmm. it. Maybe maybe eleven. Uh, this movie, I I don't know. This movie wins me over every single time. You know, mm-hmm. it's goofiness. Uh, I love the jets. I love those sharks. I love an idea of like a dancing street gang. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like this one particular shot. Like it's right in the beginning of it, where uh, they're they're like having a kind of like the dance scrap in a like basketball court and. Yep. The one of them like does like the full pounce, like a wrestler pounce, but it's so choreographed and it looks so good. But it's like that is to me the the shot that defines West Side Story is this like leaping dive into another man. Um, so this is, have this, you ever took a leaping dive into another man? Not yet. Um, That's too bad. Yeah. Uh, one day, buddy. One day. Robert Wise directed this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been popping up frequently, it seems. Uh, in that directing that Star Trek motion picture and uh, Day of the Earth stood still. So your favorite director, almost. Uh, well, I need to rewatch The Haunting. I realized because it's been a yeah. very long time since I watched it. I remember not being super impressed with it, like mm-hmm. thinking it was just okay and not this like unheralded masterpiece that a lot of people think of it as. So yeah, um, West Side Story is probably too long. Like, mm-hmm. I remember when I started it, I was like, oh, my God, this movie's so much longer than I thought it was. And then <laughs> it kind of, like, it feels like it kind of runs out of steam to a certain degree. But I still love it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this, like, I don't know. It's got that feel to it uh, that a lot of musicals don't have with me, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about here in another the, the next next movie. But, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever seen West Side Story, RJ? Nope, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Is it is that movie any good? Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I'll watch whenever. Um, you would be surprised whenever Clint Eastwood does a remake. I'll watch that. Oh man! Apparently his new movie sucks. Well, his last couple have since yeah. Jersey Boys, man. When he just fucking his will to live gave up. Well, because he, he's still alive. Yeah, I know. It's That's his, what I mean. He, he is still going, so I don't know. Mm, for now. Uh, but no, you would be surprised how much you enjoy West Side Story. I bet. Uh, how much you, I would enjoy yeah, West Side yeah, you Story. You would be you would be surprised, RJ. I'm telling you, mm. it's, it's it's got a charm to it. You can't like dislike this movie. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. I'm telling you. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah. Speaking of duds, uh, I Ooh. watched Tom Jones, uh, which 
it has the honor of being from the year, I guess it was 1963, and so for the mm-hmm. 64 Oscars, it won Best Picture. Uh, and Danny Perry's book, alternate of the alternate Oscars, where he like selects the uh-huh. movies that he thinks should have won. Uh, this it was a non-applicable year because apparently there were no good candidates for 1963. Uh, that's the only year that there was nice. no good movies, which is like strange because that was like a year that like eight and a half came out, which I guess would be mm-hmm. considered a foreign film. Uh, and then like the birds would have come out, which like just give it to the birds, like whatever. Ever, but yeah so i was like what what is this tom jones about and uh one day we'll be watching it again because it is in the criterion collection next week uh tom so, jones yes uh <laughs> so this movie rj uh it is a period piece starring albert finney as the titular, uh-huh. the titular tom jones and so I don't know what to say about this other than I was not into this at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the copy I watched looked like shit. Like it just looked like a third generation VHS DVD tape yeah. that I was watching somehow. And he was just like, oh, and it's very British in a way. What do you that, mean? Um, Just being like lordly and like being raised as a mm. lord and like so it's like that class stratus thing but it's supposed to be like a comedy of it and like i just don't feel that crap at all going back right. like at one point i was just like oh i, I want to watch barry linden instead because that movie's good and uh this movie has Susanna york in it she looks great but everything else i just was not involved at all in anything that happened it seemed like it was 100 hours long mm-hmm. and it's only like two and uh i don't know Years from now, we'll be watching Tom Jones again. And maybe by then, uh, and watching it in HD, it'll be, like, a different experience. But, yeah, this movie's got, like, one of the reps of, like, being one of the worst Best Picture winners. Uh. Uh, But it seems like it has some defenders, uh, some people who do like it or into it, which Uh. is good, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah. Not for me. Um, Yeah. I've said many times, but I'll be long dead before we fucking get there. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So uh, when you said you watched Tom Jones, I thought you were talking about Vegas uh, staple Tom Jones, the, the the great Welshman. Yeah, and I was like, that's not unusual. And uh, uh, is this the end of the podcast forever? Uh, could be. Uh, and then I watched The Sound of Music. Oh, you nerd! Which I'd never, I'd never seen before. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that, to be honest. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like it was on TV all the time, and it's very parodied and such. But like yeah. considering, I, I mentioned this in my letterbox review, um, it's fine. Uh, and it's like, I forget that it was the, it's still the third highest grossing film ever inf- adjusted for inflation. It is third mm. to Gone with the Wind and Star Wars. And I'm like, fuck, like, Huh. I don't. It's weird. I don't know why. I don't know when this movie, like how it came out, when it came out, and it just captured something that people wanted to go to over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, there's people who like love this movie. They say it's like their favorite Christmas movie, apparently, which is like strange because like I watched it and I'm like, what scene happens during Christmas? Like. Yeah, this movie also, considering its popularity, I, I'm surprised it hasn't that kind of like people love it so much because it doesn't have an ending. Um, it just like so. Do you know anything about Sound of Music? 
Isn't it uh, a family escaping, like, Nazis or something like that? Yeah, that's, like, the end of the movie, essentially. But, like, the whole, like, the first two hours, it's... uh, House on the Prairie? Julie Andrews. uh, She's a singing nun, and she gets sent to be the governess for this Von Trapp fella, played by Christopher Plummer. Ooh, And uh, to look after his seven kids. Because he's like Jesus. A, he's yeah yeah he got he was busy with his dead wife uh, uh-huh. before she was dead. Now she's dead, and now he's getting. Well, get, I know what killed her. He, he's been getting all these ladies uh, uh-huh. coming through, all these nuns, and they all don't last. They just can't take it. So Julie Andrews shows up. She does things a little bit differently. So mm-hmm. uh, lots of movies have probably copied this kind of idea before without the singing and whatnot. Uh, there's a a, a, a countess. Uh, who's like the countess? Yeah, there's a countess lady who's like the romantic interest for Christopher Plummer, but we all know that she's just going to get in the way of all Julie Andrews uh, foregoing that nunnery and getting down, getting married. Uh, what do you mean she she gives up her sacred vows to get down? Yeah, and get married. Because yeah, I know it must be a very upsetting for uh, you Catholics here. Those damn nuns, man, they ruin it for everyone. Yeah. So there's singing nuns and there's there's lots of song, there's songs about being 16 years old and going on 17 and getting down. Uh, Is that really a song in this? Yep. 16 it, going on 17? Uh, but it's, it's like something about being 16 and then going to be 17 and it's like wink, wink, wink. Is that legal age of consent? Uh, I guess. I mean, it's about boning, I guess. Well, you would know. And yeah, anyway, so there's the kids and they all get, so initially they all are like, oh, that Julie Andrews, we're going to mess mm-hmm. with you. But then they all fall under her sway and they're all taught how to sing. And then Christopher Plummer sings and then they're all mm-hmm. singing. And then there's the Von Trapp musical family that travels around Austria and brings smiles to faces. And then the Germans show up and take back Austria. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Nazis are like, you have to come to, to sail the boat, Captain. Do what your country asks you. And he's like, oh, I fucking hate Nazis. And I'm not, I'm, I'm an Austrian, I'm not a German, but that doesn't mean nothing anymore. And so they go on the run, like in the last, like, I don't know, half hour. And then they just, like, escape. And they just, like, go off onto the mountain and they leave. And that's the end of the movie. It's like, well, how did they live from that point on? It doesn't matter. They're okay, folks. Go home happy. Do, do you think it uh, went full Donner party for uh, the rest of the movie? No. 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 You don't think they had to eat each other to survive? No. Well, I don't know. This doesn't sound like a Jarrett movie. No, it's fine. I didn't hate it. It's really beautiful. Like, yeah. And guess who also uh, directed this bad boy? Robert Wise. Really? So is he He is your favorite new director, hey? Well, I've, I'm re-watching some of this stuff and watching the new ones I hadn't seen yet. Um, mm-hmm. so and beautifully shot movie, but like, I doesn't really, like, I don't get it, but watching it as a jaded 34 year old man, I don't know if it was really ever going to work that way, mm-hmm. but I don't know. The songs aren't awesome. They're not bad. Uh, yeah, but you don't like musicals anyways. I like that West side story. Mm, questionable if true. There's some other musicals that are pretty good. Um, so that's so- it for the- so so what what do you think I should do, RJ? Should I continue yeah. rewatching movies I've seen before but I haven't seen for a long time? Or should I just skip ahead now and watch the last eight Oscar Best Picture winners I've never seen? Um and pick up from ne- next year. I would pick up next year, but I also think you should watch Chicago. Well, I had have to 
do the second thing if I want to watch Chicago because that's 2002. Why don't you do a little bit of both? I, that's cheating, RJ. Jeez. No, just don't be such. No, nobody cares. These aren't rules that are set by anyone uh, other than yourself. R- RJ, there are systems in place. <laughs> nobody cares. <coughs> yeah, just I don't do know. it already. Because we'll I got like, I got that. I got one more. Uh, a man for all seasons, and then I uh-huh. jump. And then it's like a bunch of rewatches, like in the heat of the night and Midnight Cowboy, and then all the awesomeness of the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that very quickly here. Uh, uh-huh. And then, so that's it for Oscars this week. I watched the first episode of Errol Morris's Netflix series Wormwood. Are you um, familiar at all? I know Errol you? Morris. Is okay. that Thin Blue Line? Yes, same man. Nice. Uh, nice. So he did this thing. It's like it's like six episodes, forty odd minutes a piece. Um, mm-hmm. I watched the first one. What it? From what I gathered of it, it's about like MK Ultra stuff and a man's like mm-hmm. experience with his father's death and being it re- like related to the CIA. And watched the first episode, and I'm like, okay, so there's like sort of like the Errol Morris documentary stuff here, but then there's yeah. like reenactments with actors. And so Errol Morris directed a movie like back in the nineties, like an actual movie movie in between his documentaries. And then dogs go to heaven. No. And then I can't remember what the hell it was called, but it was like a noir kind of thing. And the lesson there was Errol Morris shouldn't direct movies. (laughs) Like he's just not that guy Uh to kind of director and watching this again. It's like, everything's shot the exact same way and kind of badly. Like everything's photographed right, but it's like just everything's shot in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't edit very well together. And I was just like, Ugh, I'm not into this. And then like the acting is like, oh, he doesn't know how to work with actors. And they're all like, just like doing their own things. I don't know. I was like not into this whatsoever, which is kind of mm-hmm. a bummer because I'm an Errol Morris fan. Like I'm deep into his. Are stuff. you though? I am, and this I was just like, I don't know. Maybe I was in the wrong mood. Maybe I was on too many, uh, too much cold medication. <clears throat> mm, sounds like it. Maybe you sound like weird and sick. Uh, well, I am weird. <laughs> I am weird and sick. Weirdo. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Okay. And then RJ. So Wormwood. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to maybe go back into it, but like. Mm-hmm. Eh. I watched so after watching Sound of Music and Tom Jones in one day, I was like, "Fuck, I'm burnt out on the '60s Best Picture stuff. I need to watch something yeah. like totally unrelated to any of these things." So I looked over at that DVD pile, and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to watch the first film in this Adam Sandler two pack I bought a Ooh. year ago." And I watched Billy Madison for the first time, I think, since grade six grade five or grade six mm-hmm. uh yeah that, you never watched that as an adult like in high school i might or have, after I, I, outside I, of high school junior high i might have watched it one other time wow um, and i thought you were a fan of adam sandler no of good cinema oh no so I, you know, even when I was in, like, an elementary school, RJ, I never liked Billy Madison a ton. Shut up. Don't I, do this. I, I'm not I'm not joking don't, here. Don't do this. Don't do this to me. So, man, watching it again, fuck. Adam Sandler is so bad. He is so... He is Arguable. Really, he is really bad here in Billy Madison. Like, the first half hour of this Go movie on. is painful. 
I was like, oh, like I was gonna watch the whole thing, and I was just like, what the fuck? Oh. Are you saying you didn't watch the whole thing? Oh, I watched the whole thing. Like, no okay. matter, I was gonna suffer yeah. through it all. Luckily, it does get better toward the end. Like, it's yeah. like fine, but that first half hour is brutal. Like, fucking Adam Sandler doing drunk is the shits. Like, he is, is like that, my <laughs> that. That that is some of the worst drunk acting I've ever seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like people always shit on that and like you see examples of it you're like well at least they are. I seem to be drunk in this it's like what is he what is he supposed to be like is he just stupid or is he drunk or what is this and like the penguin stuff oh it it's endless it's so it goes on and on and on and then there's like mo- there's these lines that are mm-hmm. like funny about Triscuits like with like throwaway characters I'm like what the hell mm-hmm. like it's like that's like almost like a good bit but like it's like mm-hmm. so random and well, then, if I had known about the Triscuits, I would have had some. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you get to the plot of the movie, which is, oh, you get the maid talking about Adam Sandler's Worry great ass. Plot. This idea that, like, Adam Sandler's, like, this incredibly sexy, attractive man, which I'm like, is this supposed to be, like, funny? Or is are we supposed to be like, Adam Sandler's a really good-looking guy? Like, I'm not sure. No, what... I think it's she has attachment to him because she's he's her snack pack. Oh, but there's other Jared. people. There's, like... <laughs> There's other people who like refer to him being like attractive. It's kind of like odd. Like Chris Farley. <laughs> like he talks about uh, what's her name's Ace. That Veronica Vaughn yeah. is one fine piece of yes. I feel like you've watched this movie, RJ. Um, hey, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I think Billy Madison is uh, an all-time banger. So I think mm, you're nuts. Nah, dude. I, no. I don't know. I've never, like, something about it just doesn't resonate with me. Um, I was going to try to, I was trying, just, I tried to watch Happy Gilmore last night because I do like Happy Gilmore. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's, like, his best, like, comedy that he's done. Yeah. By far. And what do you mean tried? But I just, Did you start it and no, not it didn't happen. I I was on okay. down. I was asleep. I'm gonna try to watch it before next week and we'll see okay. how it, see if it holds up. Can can I make two suggestions? <laughs> what? I think you should also watch Big Daddy and The Wedding Singer. I don't because out of Sandler comedies, Big Daddy. Sucked. I, I think Big, Big Daddy sucks. Is pretty good. No. I saw that theater uh, in, in prime Adam Sandler era, and I remember being the like, wedding singer that movie is not funny at all. Next, you're gonna be telling me to watch Little Nicky. No, no, no. Okay, well, here, will you watch eight, the wedding eight crazy singer? nights? The wedding singer. Watch that one. That's a good movie. And then, if you feel feel up to it, you can watch The Water Boy. <laughs> oh, Actually, you so know that, that movie. You know how you have that Patreon going? Yeah. And you know how like the milestone for me is uh, if we get like a hundred dollars or something like that, I have to month, watch. Yeah. I have to watch Salo. Uh, In a I theater. Want, yeah, I want like for twenty dollars, like because a hundred dollars, like Salo is a different ballpark. But if we can get like twenty dollars, I think you should watch. Uh, Don't mess with the Zohan, because <sighs> uh, I really want to hear your your take on that movie. God damn it! Oh yeah, it's the director of Happy Gilmore. Oh, who cares? So it's the director of Problem Child. You know, the, Beverly Hills Ninja. So, so uh, uh, the director of this, uh, Tamara Davies, she also directed that one uh, Beastie Boys music video last week. The one with him on the boat that felt like an outsider music video. Um, so anyway, yeah, Billy Madison. Uh, there's some fucking shit in that movie and just like dead humor. I don't hate it, but it's not good. Uh, you know what, though? Fuck. I forgot how hilarious Chris Farley is. 
yeah. Yeah, he, he just, like, shows up on screen, and he just does stuff, and you're like, man, he's so good. Like, he's, mm-hmm. everything is just delivered the right way. Uh, so he's fantastic. Steve Buscemi, I'm like, oh, yeah, right. He's the post, or he's, like, the, the man with the gun. I remember him being in it because, like, that was one of the reasons I probably wanted to watch this movie again when I did yep. in junior high because Steve Buscemi's in it, and I love Steve Buscemi. And I watched Airheads and, mm-hmm. and for it, so... Well, you see, there's a lot of crossover yeah, between is. Steve Buscemi and Chris Farley. You see, there's so much. They're, they're like, are you gonna watch uh, Dirty Work next? No, Dirty Chris Farley's in that. Yeah, that movie's. Not he's good. really, he's really good in that movie. Again, Dirty Work is another one of those movies that, like, I know there's people who God, love that movie, but like, I, tr- uh, I watched that actually on Netflix way back when we first got Netflix, and uh, huh. I remember being like, yeah, there's like these beats that are funny but man it's painful to get through that stuff i think a lot of this is just you problems you know I just because think... i mean if you if you would open up your heart you would you would find out that dirty work is <laughs> a, a, just a great comedy well even like we were chatting about this after i'd watched it and we were sending each other gifts of the movie and like i was like yeah. this movie's so much better in gift form <laughs> like there's these these visuals mm-hmm. that are great but like actually the act of watching this movie is just like oh but I mean, heartless you know what? Duncan over I am there. heartless because, like, I don't like. I don't think highly of like the Wayne's World movies, like any of the like <sighs> SNL stuff. Like those movies, oh, dude. Jared, why are you like this? I don't. I don't know. Like, I've had the same sense of humor for a really long time. But man, when I watch a movie that's like really funny, I laugh. Mm. I, hey, at least I like Super Troopers, right? Right? No. What? No. <laughs> like dirty work. <sighs> I don't know why you're like this, and I. Frankly, I've had it with you. Fine. Okay, that's it for my movies. Um, okay. Yeah. Hey, you got any you got any news, RJ? Uh, apparently, Paul Thomas Anderson is working on a family-friendly script with his eight-year-old daughter. Ooh. Netflix lands world worldwide rights to the next four Duplass brother films. Oh boy. Fuck those guys. Those are those guys who shit all over Mel Gibson. Yeah. Nobody wants to see Creep 6. Fucking get over it, you nerd. (laughs) Am I right? (sighs) Whatever. I have no news. Okay. Well, there was some Criterion announcements. Ah, yes, yes. For May. Um, The movie Moonrise that I think I actually talked about during my film noir viewing. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. like a gothic noir. It's got some beautiful cinematography. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. coming out in Blu-ray, which is cool. Um I don't know if I'd be like, you should blind buy that or anything like that, but it's nice to see it added to the collection. We got mm-hmm. Midnight Cowboy, which uh, Ooh, it's, nice. it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it but being he's talking like, about it. It's one of my all, all-time faves, I mm-hmm. think, last time I watched it. Anyway, uh, The Other Side of Hope, directed by uh, Aki Kurosamaki. Uh, I've heard this guy's name before. It's popped up. He's in the collection, but I don't think I've seen any of the, their movies. So... Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Suspicious, if true. Yes. Uh, Beyond the Hills and uh-huh. a film called Graduation by one Kristen Mungwai. Don't know anything about mm. these films. Uh, they both have very contemporary looking covers, so I think they're recent-ish movies. But okay. the big the big news for me was the re-release Blu-rays of oh, yeah. uh, Mishima by Paul Ooh, Schrader nice. and Alhazal Balthazar. 
which uh, I've seen once and I saw it a few years ago and I think it's like one of the best movies ever made and being able to watch it in HD is going to be awesome because that old DVD wasn't very good in the first place. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to hear uh, my Mishima story? Okay. So Mishima is a five-star movie. Yeah. It's terrific. A guy I know, this jerk named Jared Duncan, he lent me this movie. And uh, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to give it a shot. And I watched it, and I really liked it. And I was like, fuck, that's a good movie. And uh, what's the name of the guy who made that? Paul Schrader? Paul Schrader. I thought that that was Paul Reiser. And for about three months, I was like telling everyone I knew. I was like, you know the Mad About You guy? He made this amazing fucking movie about this Japanese guy. And and he wrote Taxi Driver? He wrote Taxi Driver? I was like, yeah, he was just in Whiplash. And and, and he was in Aliens. He was in Aliens. He was in Whiplash. He was in Mad About You. He wrote Parenthood and Couplehood. Yeah, I was like, this Paul Reiser is just the fucking bomb, man. And for about a month, I was telling everyone who would listen that Paul Reiser was the man. And it's all your fault. It's all your fault, so buddy. So how did you handle it when you found out? How, how did you discover your error? Let's just say uh, some uh, some hobo got uh, got what was coming to him. <laughs> Little bum stew, if you know what I mean. Oh, Jesus. That's the, that's the Stephen King talking. That's not really how I feel. <laughs> cool. Um, nice. All right. Um. <coughs> This is, huh? be, this is easy listening for some poor bastard, especially if they're a germaphobe, hearing me coughing into their ear canal. I think that's it. Uh-huh. It's all over with the crying. Or is it? Because coming up next, we're talking about cries and whispers. Directed by Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> Tack, jag hittar ut. 
செய்து போமே And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. And tonight we're talking about Cries and Whispers from 1972, directed by Ingmar Bergman. And the uh, tagline for this movie, mm-hmm. a haunting and shattering film experience. And a synopsis from Letterboxd. As Agnes slowly dies of cancer, her sisters are so deeply immersed in their own psychic pains that they can't offer her the support she needs. Maria is racked with guilt at her husband's suicide caused by his discovery of her extramarital affair. The self-loathing, suicidal Karen seems to regard her sister with revulsion. Only Anna, the deeply religious maid who lost her young child, seems able to offer Agnes solace and empathy. What I'm getting at is this movie sounds like a hell of a fun time. I Were you reading the description of Cries and Whispers or of a sister act? Uh, sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Hmm. Always with the Sister Act. Hey, shut up, okay? <laughs> you know, one day someone who, who listens to this show is going to like Sister Act as much as I do, and I'll have made a friend for life. And what what will you have to show for it? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a super cheery movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, like Bergman does. Uh, yep. Uh, history of this podcast with Bergman has been pretty positive. We mostly. like mostly. I think his real at this point stinker was that Magic Flute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a real movie, though. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a him just shooting a play, an opera. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Uh, this is a movie that I've never seen before. It's mm-hmm. always just been on the like horizon as far as like a Bergman movie that I should watch but when you read the descriptions of these movies and like they all kind of like have a crossover and so you just kind of pick and choose which ones you watch and they're Mm -hmm. usually kind of like one's enough to last you for a while especially these like 70s dramas yeah so I mean I've seen Persona a couple times but I'd never seen this and it was always one of those things from like well when I get to it, I'm going to watch it. Like when I get it, I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray or buy it on mm-hmm. DVD for years and years and years. And I remember like this DVD. I remember this cover, like the original one, which is like this like kind of white uh, framed picture of, I think, Love Almond. And it's kind of like a split image. Um, and I was always like, oh, one day, one day, one day, one day. But you read the back and you go, oh, man, I don't know if I'm up for this. I'm not up for this. But mm-hmm. the movie came out on Blu-ray. We're doing this podcast now. It's like, well, it's inevitable. We're going to get to it one of these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that day has come. Um, I kind of, I don't know if I wish I'd seen this movie before Autumn Sonata, because I was thinking about Autumn Sonata a lot while watching this. And I kept thinking that like a lot of it was done in this clearer, better way in some ways. Um, yeah. where it just feel like, oh, this is like a, like a movie that most people could watch and like mm-hmm. get like a, get the same sort of impact and like the actorliness would be there. Um, the, the impact would all be there because this movie feels very similar, um, because mm-hmm. it's this like intense family, interpersonal drama, uh, dead kids, 
the sound of clocks, uh, people facing their like mortality, um, existential crises, um, and like there's this like baggage of family history and stuff like that all on display. Um, so I mean, the main thing this thing's got going for it is its production design, which mm-hmm. I, is pretty hard to miss, uh, as everything is red. <laughs> Um, yeah intensely red um but yeah i mean there's like all the the bergman check marks are there priests show up Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then there's this like kind of like these moments of like strangeness that just emerge like just things that you're like oh like what oh like dude stabbing himself uh in the (laughs) stomach Yeah, that uh, one was weird. There's, there's, that's one. Uh, there's another uh-huh. one of note uh, involving glass and genitals. You, you, know, you know what my note was for that? I said, "Hey, whoa, don't put that in there," because you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's a bad place to put things like that. And and then there's like I don't know scenes of like dead woman jumping up and hugging. <laughs> So did you think that that's like typical Bergman stuff? Because I'm not going to lie. I've seen a few Bergmans now. Yeah. And I was a little surprised by those things. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, <laughs> wait a I, minute. I was just thinking about like in terms of like um, even like like Fanny and Alexander has like sort of these like okay, yeah. occur- stuff like happens in it. I mean, yeah. for me, Fan- Fanny and Alexander is like top shelf Bergman. Mm-hmm. That's like a masterpiece of everything he, yep. he was ever doing. So everything else is just kind of like him working toward that. Um, so, it, so actually I'll bring up, uh, one of our listeners, Joshua, he, uh, I was, I, I kind of came across his review for cries and whispers and he kind of mentions this and, uh, La Ventura in the same kind oh, of context no. saying like how he feels the both is kind of like, they're really difficult films, uh, yeah. in a similar way where they're like not easy to get. And there's a lot more of an undercurrent of subtext, I guess to like sure. pull that because otherwise like on the surface these movies are very simple I mean mm-hmm. from this description I mean it is about uh, this Agnes who yeah. like she's like she's only around for like like not even half the movie like she's mm-hmm. there and then she dies uh, and you get the crackling death whale sequence which oh, is fuck. like fucking did you turn did you turn down the volume when you that scene hit for you no it was it was fine for me i mean that was like the experience <sighs> of like it getting louder and being like horrifying um and then you get like a series of you get the i, I, I guess the bergman shot that comes out of persona of like the the actor straight on kind of like heavily lit and like in this mm-hmm. har- harsh contrast and then you get like kind of like voiceover narration kind of stuff. And then you get a, a fade out uh, in this movie. Instead of black, it's red uh, is the the color that dominates. Mm-hmm. And you get these uh, kind of like anecdotes, these like kind of like stories that are kind of like unrelated glimpses of the past relationships of these characters yeah. with one another. Um, so it's a very, not to abuse this word here, but like it's lyrical sort of like storytelling where it's like very loose and just like kind of, uh, maybe poetic, but mm, not not quite. I don't know. Uh, those are just my initial thoughts. RJ, mm-hmm. what did you think of Cries and Whispers? Well, dog, let me tell you. So as you mentioned, we've seen a few Bergmans now, a couple of which I think are all-time bangers. That uh, Seventh Seal, I think, is very good. Uh, Fanny, and, Fanny and Alexandra, which we haven't watched yet. 
is very good. Uh, I like that you brought up Autumn Sonata because I feel like that's a movie that like um, I'd never heard about. Like when people talk about Bergman, and when we went to when it came up in the on the show here, I was like, oh cool, a Bergman that I've never seen. And then I watched it, and then I was surprised at how much I liked it. Yeah. Like that movie. Like, people can go listen to that episode where it's actually fresh. But um, I was really surprised at Autumn Sonata because I, like, uh, for whatever reason, I really identified with it. And I really felt sad for the characters in that one. I was like, man, I was like, this movie's kind of doing exactly what a movie like this should. Like, it actually makes you feel for them. So I think that one is very good, like you said, and I think better, maybe not no, not better, that's not the right word, more accessible than Cries and Whispers. Mm-hmm. And uh, exactly what um, friend of the show Josh said as well, um, I can see what he means when he talks about it being in the same vein as La Ventura, because I, I get everyone says it's like, that's a movie you got to watch a couple times. And most people are like, I didn't like it on the first watch. And you know what? I didn't like it. And I don't want to watch it again. No. I don't want to. That That's the thing. Whereas for Cries and Whispers, uh, I did like it. I think it's good. I like Bergman. Uh, but there's a lot that I didn't get. And not like, it's like, I don't understand like why this happened or that happened. What I mean is I think there's a lot um, a lot, a lot of layers underneath there's certain things it's like I'm sure that if I rewatch this more and like kind of pay attention to more things or give it a little bit more thought I will take more out of it mm. where it's like I, I would be interested in rewatching this sooner or later like one day yeah. whereas something like La Ventura is like I didn't really take anything out of that where so uh, anyways uh, I like Cries and Whispers uh, I thought it was really good uh, there are there are elements to it that I really enjoy, and I think those are like the superficial things, like the like the cinematography, the way his use of colors, just all the Berg, Bergman stuff, right? Like yeah. his use of religion in uh, films, and his use of like like loneliness and solitude to show like these certain characters. Like I think stuff like that is just great. But uh, there's also things that I feel like um, I couldn't say that. Like I, I would be lying if I said I totally understand understood all of it. Where I think there's a lot of things underneath there, where it's like there's there's something in this movie about like oppression and women, and I don't really know what they're trying to say, but I know that there's stuff there. And then even just some of the different interactions that the characters have, like um, like the lady who does that self mutilation, and then there's the affair and with the other the sister like i know there's more to it i just don't know what it is so that's that's all i mean by that is i think this one warrants rewatching because i know there's more there's more to it i just don't know what it is yet hmm. so yeah like I, that's one common thing i've seen in reviews about this movie is people not getting what the movie's getting at they don't know what it is and they talk about this mystery and like it just actually popped in my head and i was trying to think of this last night um so i was reading uh roger ebert's great movies review of this and he kind of mentions how no one really this movie doesn't have the reputation that he thinks it deserves because it's Mm -hmm. like there's like a puzzle element to it but it's not a movie that appeals to what he kind of describes as young male adults which are movies like mulholland drive or memento where they have like a Mm -hmm. there's like they're like they're they're action movies they're like movies with like kind of this uh beginning middle end structure even if Mm -hmm. it's like memento which kind of subverts that but it's still kind of like 
a kind of it's a man, it's a man movie, and like Crescent Whispers is not like that mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, it's a subdued drama, uh, a domestic drama about cancer and dying and like the family mm-hmm. and just like interpersonal relationships, like a Bergman movie. So mm-hmm. like Seven Seals more a lot of people's speed because it's about death, like literally death and, <laughs> and nights and the Black Plague mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, which is why I think Seven Seal has like that kind of his probably his crossover movie. Um, more than anything else, or even like something like Virgin Spring, which is, I guess, mm-hmm. like essentially it's a it's a rape revenge movie at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you haven't pro- you haven't watched like Through a Glass Darkly or Winter Light or The Silence no, yet, which is not like, yet. I guess I don't know. I've been building up my uh, Bergman shots, so I kind mm-hmm. of know what to expect with it. Um, the one one of the things that's really nice about Cries and Whispers compared to La Ventura is this movie is ninety minutes long, uh, ninety five <laughs> minutes long, as opposed to nine hundred two 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 and a half hours, uh, uh-huh. where you're like, this is really not going anywhere. I want to see, and so Cries and Whispers it doesn't overstates welcome, which is like a weird yeah. way to like make Cries and Whispers be like, oh, it's nice, compact, it's breezy. <laughs> it's like no, it's not a breezy movie at all. No, <coughs> but it's just what you said. It's not over. It's not overbearing in how long it is. Where it's that's it's like La Ventura was so fucking long that I told you like twenty minutes in, I put it up to one point three speed on Canopy <laughs> because I was like, or one and a half speed. I was like, I can't fucking watch this movie in regular time. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. But like, so I think that is like the big difference here in. Like what I was saying earlier, it's it's not that I don't understand or don't get it. It's just I feel like there's more to this movie. And I'm sure that like you could do a whole fucking semester of some kind of film class on this. Like, ooh, look at this detail. Te- this candle's turned left. Technically, you could do that with anything. That's kind of the absurdity. Yeah. That's the absurdity of uh, I, academia. What I, <laughs> what I mean is uh, this one might actually be like um, – Yield something? Yeah, like you, you could pull things from it, not just being like, oh, well, this is the scene where Whoopi Goldberg falls down the stairs in her nun uniform. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what does that symbolize? Woman's suffrage? So not that. I just, I get what you're saying, man. I, I'm just saying, you know, you know. <laughs> okay. No, it was like, but yeah, I don't know, like, because you were kind of getting at like stuff that you don't think you get I mean I felt like sure. I watched it and went I get the movie like I understand everything that happened in the story um, <laughs> and it's just kind of there I guess it's whether or not like why are those scenes there or like what what do these scenes say about human beings experiences I mean I don't I remember writing papers like that in school and those. Um, I don't know I I guess like I just like watch the movie and I'm like, I, I, it seems pretty straightforward. Like it's just, uh, it's a story. Yeah. Right. Like, no, yeah. That, that's like, what I meant to say. It's like, it's, there was nothing that I didn't really understand. I'm just saying, I think there's more to it. There's more like theme and metaphors and symbolism and such and such underneath. I think at least maybe there's nothing. Maybe Bergen is just like, no man, this is just what it is. These are don't like, fucking they, overcomplicate things. Yeah, I mean, like he has like the same sort of stuff that he goes back to a lot. The way he does characters and scenes and stuff like that. Like, there's no like, like he uses the same actors and whatnot to kind of play out his stuff. His yeah. wives and like works with the same people. Like that's kind of like the whole auteur thing. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I guess like based on like a first viewing, Crescent Whispers falls short of like I think Om Sonata. 
like, but I don't think it's like it's not a bad movie. I think it's like it's a very interesting movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess kind of like the slot I would put it in is like one of those movies that I'm like, huh, that wasn't really what I was expecting mm-hmm. of this. Like, I had no idea what to expect other than it's going to be another like type of drama of his. Um, but right. I don't know. Yeah, I hear you, man. This you one's a. Me. I hear you, dog. Uh, I think this one's. So I was actually dreading this podcast a little bit because I was like, I don't really have that much to say about Cries and Whispers. Yeah. Not in like not not as a bad thing or anything like that. It was just I watched it and I enjoyed it, and I looked at my notes. I was like, I don't really have very much written down, and I think I would be hard pressed to even tell you that much about. Like, I could tell you what happens in this movie. Well, t- t- do the, the, t- tell me what you think about when you think about this movie at this point. A few days out. I think this movie is a, a highlight of, like, loneliness and solidarity and pain. Because I think each of the three sisters has their own kind of... Not solidarity. That's not the right word. Um, solitude. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, I think each of these sisters expresses a kind of loneliness, but in their own different ways. So like you have the main character who's dying from cancer and she's like, not like physically lonely, but like, she just like, no one is around for her ever. So she's lonely in that way where she's dying and all she wants is like to have people with her. And it's even show like highlighted at the end of the movie where, uh, she's talking about how she hung out with her two sisters and she's like, we didn't really even do anything. We just kind of sat on the swings but she's like, but it was a perfect day because that's all I've wanted is to just be with other people. And it's it's sad for that reason where there's this lady who's like, I'm dying. I know I'm dying. All I really want to do is hang out with my sisters, but they're not here because they're busy yeah. doing other stuff. Well, and then so the, that's her that's her loneliness. Yeah. And the only like person that's actually there all the time is the the servant servant yeah yeah the uh like the religious lady who's like trying to take care of her and like they have their own little relationship but and like you see that she like appreciates it it's just it's not totally what she like she wants her family there right which is understandable and then there's the other sisters loneliness you have um the lady from autumn sonata uh, the nympho, not nymphomaniac, the uh, the sexy, the sensual lady in this one, the uh, the um, affair lady, yeah. And you see her loneliness, where it's kind of like it doesn't really sound like her husband doesn't really pay attention to her, but it's one of those things where it seems that she's in this like not even like a loveless marriage, just like a distant one, right? Like it's a little disconnected from the what you would expect a marriage to be like. So she's like, she's lonely in that sense where she's not getting anything out of her relationship. So she goes looking for, looking for it in other places like that fucking pig of a man who she feeds dinner and he's just fucking piling it in. It is such a grotesque scene. He's like, he's like, Oh yeah. And she's wearing like ladies showing some serious tit. Let me tell you, Jared, she is wearing like a full bra and that's it. But, um, so like she's got her own loneliness. She's like not getting out what she wants in her marriage. And you're like, well, that sucks. And then you have the other lady, who, who is like uh, takes it to a a bit more of an extreme level where it's the kind of the same thing where like she's not getting what she wants out of her marriage like she doesn't 
she has issues with like being touched i think i guess well the that's she has, like intimacy a, problems yeah, that's a whole thing and too. i i can relate to that i don't like being touched by other people either i think other people are gross but <laughs> so there's like uh, like people trying to like touch her and then like her husband and it's like this sexual thing and then she takes it to in, to her own hands and she like does like self mutilation basically not mutilation but like self harm and that's sad too because it's like it was this lady that lonely or not even lonely but it was like is she that sad with the life that she has that she resorts to those things or is she like mentally unwell like because it seems clearly she has some other problems so I don't know, man. Like, that's what I mean. Like, each one each one of these three sisters has their own kind of thing. And I think that it all kind of pairs well together. Or, like, the way that they work together is nice in, compared to each other's. But why did I start talking about all this stuff? Well, I asked you to recall what you think about okay. this movie. And you're doing that's, that. Well, that's what I think about this movie. I think this movie is a showcase of sadness. <laughs> and loneliness but it's a different kind of loneliness for different people because you know some some people get sad about different things right right um i don't know maybe i'm way off and that's none of that no that movie sounds that's exactly what i see what you just said i mean that's exactly yeah. what happens and like that's what the movie does so yeah. i don't know like beyond that like i don't know what people are hoping for is like are these hidden things in the movie i i don't think i think it's i I, think it's there's an idea that there's like hidden symbolism behind some of the way he does stuff not even like the like the straight stuff it's just like maybe but like a lot of his other movies none of those movies really have that so i'm not exactly sure if there's like some sort of mystery beyond what's there because i mean it seems like there's plenty there already that you just described and i think the fact that maybe it's not the most satisfying story and so yeah. maybe that's the the hope that well there's gotta be some reason why this happens the way that it does because like when i watched it i'm like no that's exactly yeah. what the movie is what are people talking about like there's not anything yeah. beyond what is there like what what's this great message that because you watch like seventh seal it's like i don't know yeah. it's pretty explicit like about its themes um fanny mm-hmm. alexander's like his like autobiography um but like with sort of this like it's like dipping his toe into like Jewish mysticism in like mm-hmm. multiple dimensions. And it's kind of like, that's like, oh, probably he was reading stuff about that and thought, I'm going to put that into the story as well. And that's it. Like, it's yeah. like, that's like, it's not any different than any director making movies without like getting, he's not a surrealist. Yeah. Uh, he, he tells stories that are like, no, that dude like stabbed himself in the stomach for being a cuck. <laughs> and, uh, beta cuck, man. Yeah. You know, I think actually, I think you you might be right. Um, I think we, we're getting to the bottom of this, man. I think maybe the reason people think that there's more to, and I'm including myself in this people thing, mm. that there's maybe more to it, like more in the symbolism or metaphors of what he's building is that, like how a uh, friend of the show, Josh, was saying, is that it's a difficult film to watch in a few senses, that there th- you kind of expect things to happen. And they do, but you also kind of expect more out of it, mm-hmm. which is what you were saying. It's like, it's like pe- everyone who watches this and says, like myself included, says that they feel like they missed something. And there's a little bit more to it. Maybe all it is is it's just you expect there to be more because, like, because maybe it's a Bergman film, and the way that it's all kind of set up, you expect more out of it. But maybe it's just 
that's what it is. It's just this fucking movie. Yeah. This movie Bergman did about this lady fucking dying and how everyone is really sad about it. Yeah, and people are and very how, intense about these things. Yeah. And and that guy's an asshole. That guy's like the, such a piece of garbage. Which guy? Oh, the one the husband? husband. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> bad yeah, dude. He, he's kind of a dink. But, uh, you know, he never just stabbed himself in the gut. Well, that's like that guy. He was weak. This other yeah. guy, he's just a jerk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, like to me, it's like my note here is like heavy art house autumn sonata. Like, yeah, so it yeah. feels like him deciding to try out some formal experimentation that he doesn't really do elsewhere. And he kind of like he, he doesn't some of the others films, but for the most part, like he he's pretty even in his like what he does with his movies. So mm-hmm. I don't know why this one seems to be the one that like, Oh, I just don't get it. And it's like, there's something wrong with me. I'm like, I don't know. I watched it. And I'm like, it seems pretty straightforward, but maybe yeah. it's just like not the most satisfactory of his movies. Like it's like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a Bergman movie, but maybe it's like not one of his best movies and that's fine. Yeah. I think that's fine too. <coughs> it's uh there was actually, I think I wrote down a quote. That's not super applicable, but it kind of is at this point. Uh, I relate to this a lot. I think it was really funny, though, where the uh, the more sensual sister, she goes, I don't remember every stupid thing I have done and I won't be held accountable for or account for them. Where she's like talking to like the sisters like you did that. And she's like, I don't remember every dumb thing I've done. It's like, but I, also I'm not going to be held accountable for it. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really funny because it's like, yeah, that's what a lot of people are like, where it's like, it's like, well, you can't blame me for that. And it's like, well, you did it. So maybe people are just like, hey, Bergman, what's up with this movie? And he's like, hey, look, I made a movie. I made it the way I wanted to. Take it as it is. Lay off. Lay off, nerds. But yeah, I mean, there's like, again, like the, the Autumn Sonata stuff comes to mind because there's yeah. like sort of these like late night conversations that like family members have where they let like, they let it mm-hmm. all loose and they let their feelings drop uh, or the masks drop and then they just like kind of start talking and then you get the exchange between the sisters of them touching each other's faces and like actually mm-hmm. like being familial with one another. But then the next day it's back on and they're like, nope, no, no touching, no touching. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, these are themes that he is working through constantly, I guess, when he was making these, mm-hmm. per- these this particular set of movies. And yeah. uh, I don't know, this is just another iteration of it, and it's kind of his more artful version of it. And maybe he doesn't make a lot of movies like this after this because he was like, nah, I tried it. It doesn't quite work right. And then he went back and kind of because like almost not a 1979 so mm-hmm. i mean people change their paces of stuff like that i don't know people shouldn't beat themselves up over this movie too much <laughs> and like or like hold it up in this higher regard because it's more artful um mm-hmm. other than oh i resonates more with me because it's more like this type of movie that i like which is cool but like it doesn't necessarily mean that because it's that it means oh it's good uh sometimes it's got to have yeah. some something more to it i guess but i don't know it's more ambiguous. I guess it's more of a challenging film. So some people just like find that sort of thing more interesting in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the one, there's like one comment uh, mentioning uh, old Ebert again, how there's like really at no time, this movie is like all set inside of this house. There's like, like mm-hmm. only a handful of times where you're actually, you see outside of the house. There's no shots outside of windows. I think at the very beginning you see uh, Agnes like looking out a window, but other than that, it's always like inward. 
And uh, yeah. there's this whole thing about like just like the inside of the house being red and it's sort of this like intimate, intimate color. Uh, and it's just, it's like what that is. It's mm. just like about like being inside of like a, an organ of being inside of something. It's like uh, blood, man. Blood, man. Uh, I'm smearing it all over your lips. Ooh. Ooh. You want to hear yeah. what uh, people who hate this movie say? Yeah, let's uh, let's hear what people who hate this movie okay. have to say. So, uh, film critic Mike D'Angelo, he gave this movie one star. Oof. Everything I hate about Bergman concentrated into a single film. The, nice. dow- the dour humorlessness, the mannered performances, the ticking clocks that infiltrate portentous silences with metronomic reminders of mortality, the overwrought arias of verbal cruelty, uh, the expository flashbacks, the random mood swings designed merely to startle. It's as close as he ever came to self-parody, practically as ludicrous as SCTV's Whispers of the Wolf. And then Mm. there's the use of red, which to my eyes goes well past bold into laughably garish. And I suffer from uh, protonopia, the variety of colorblindness in which red is severely diminished. If that salon looks like an unhosed Mm. abattoir to me, I can't even imagine what people of normal color vision experience. I should mention that I myself am colorblind. (laughs) I don't think I have that particular uh, type, but uh, I have my issues with red and green. But I don't know. I thought it looked Mm. striking and fine. Um yeah, you would be a colorblind person. I am. Uh, and to continue, honestly, if I wanted to scare someone away from art films forever, this is what I'd show them. But I only like four Bergman films out of 23 seen to date, so fans should ignore me. Uh, and then he just has a link to how he views the world with color blindness. <laughs> oh, God, nobody cares, man. Yeah. Nobody cares about is like, ooh, look at my fucking weird eyes. It's like, yeah, everybody's got a weird thing, dude. Yeah. Don't even ask Everybody. RJ about his weird thing. Ooh, you don't want to know. Uh, and then uh, Tad Kosciusko, one and a half star. This had some visual flourishes that I enjoyed, but otherwise it was a narrative and thematic dumpster fire. <laughs> oh, <Okay. laughs> oh, wow. Death mortality. Okay, sure. That's interesting theme. One that's been done a lot, but sure, interesting. But if you can't demonstrate your ideas through an organized narrative structure and have to use throwaway scenes, that isn't good. That is all that Bergman does in this film. Sure, what? some of the acting is okay, but a lot of it is really hammy as well. Not to mention that some of the actions of these characters is non-nonsensical. Non-nonsensical? Yep. Does that mean it makes sense? I have to ask Tad. What are these people trying to say? I mean, the maid rubs her boobs all over the woman with cancer. What the actual fuck? That's got to be one of my least favorite, like, <sighs> internet expressions in this internet what, age what of people going, what the actual fuck? Uh, like, whatever. Uh, I didn't think that scene was off-putting at all. I thought it was, like, this lady, it's like a comforting thing, right? Like, skin-to-skin contact has been scientifically proven to been like very comforting. Whoa. Uh what the fuck? What, what the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? No, that's like that's why when babies are born, they do skin to skin contact on like the mother's chest. It's not a tit thing, it's a skin thing. It's more comforting when you got a big naked lady pressed on you. So yeah, a few of the other uh low low scores uh things like I cried, I can tell you that much and <laughs> pretentious. <laughs> that's all that is all I have to say. 
It sounds like mo- most of the problems is just people are like, I either don't like Bergman or it's like, oh, this is art house, which I don't even really agree with. Like, it's it doesn't seem like an art house thing. It feel well, it it does, but it's not yeah. like it's like I've I've seen some fucking art house in my days, and uh, this is like <laughs> pretty pretty watchable. Like, it's not yeah. trying to alienate me in any way. It's just like, oh, he has these moments that kind of break out. Uh, oh, here's another good one. Holy bananas. What's with all the screaming? I have liked a couple of Bergman films, but at this point, it seems like those are the exceptions. I hate how depressing this film is for me because, or for me without a point, I didn't get anything out of this. They're all terrible to each other for no reason. And those fade to reds, how cool. Not a fan at all. Boom. What? I don't like the way oh, that person my talks. God. My sixth film by this director, and after not liking all six, I'm giving up on director Ingmar Bergman. A lot of crying, <laughs> shouting, yelling, looking into the void. Emotionally, it does nothing for me. No mm-hmm. warmth in the movie. We do get a little warmth, but it is too less. But is too less to make up for the rest of the movie. God damn, who? Oh, it has no warmth, RJ. The crimson no red colors and fade ins outs began to bore me up to a point I didn't care for anything in the movie anymore. Bergman tries to create a feeling of emptiness. I got the feeling, but the or I got the point, but the movie already fa- fails on every point for me, so I can't do nothing with the message Bergman tries to bring to the viewer that there is nothing but misery in life, <gasps> death, and the road to it. It All right, is nothing enough. but misery. This Bergman lacks any kind of nuance. Yeah, Bergman. A couple heavy drama with a biased approach that has one or two good scenes. What's wrong with people? Uh, let's see what uh, Dennis here likes. Oh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on. That guy's going off about like pretentious and fucking art house stuff and he likes beyond the black rainbow he did give i am the pretty thing that lives in the house four stars yeah that doesn't matter that's a good movie everyone should like that but beyond the black rainbow is a big piece of dump yeah fuck me people are weird so there you go people are weird Jarrett. people have hate in their hearts Uh, i don't like doing this podcast with you That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it. Any any parting thoughts okay. on the Bergman? Uh, next up, I think for Bergman is going to be Wild Strawberries. That's another Ooh. one of his uh, big, the big ones. I've seen that actually. Oh, really? That'll I, be a re- rewatch for me. I've never seen it. What? That never happens. Uh, once in a while, very rare. Once, once in a while, yeah. Yeah. What a what a treat. What a treat. Uh, oh. all right. Uh, after the break, RJ's going to stick a piece of glass somewhere, and I don't know something, something. Uh, and you're you're gonna drop your naked tits on me? Yes, I'll I'll nurse you back to health with my bosom.
So RJ, based on these Ingmar Bergman movies, what do you think Sweden's like? Really fucking sad and depressing. Yeah. And red everywhere. Yeah. Death walking around, killing folk. <laughs> Death playing chess with people. Women fucking cutting up their vaginas. <laughs> it's anarchy. It's a real fucked up place. Uh-huh. Uh, you can email us at criteriangroups at gmail.com and tell us how we're your favorite podcast. Uh, tell us what your weird country is like. Yeah, you weirdos. Uh-huh. Uh, you could, I don't know, go to our Facebook page. We're on sure. Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. Sure. I'm Jared Duncan's Barnloaf. We've got that Patreon page. You can make that Jared watching the Zohan movie happen. <laughs> I want that to happen so bad. Yeah. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all that stuff. Next week, we are going to dip back down into that laser disc collection, RJ. Ooh, neat. Yep, we're going to to hold off that discreet charm for a week, and we're going to instead watch number seven in the laser disc viewing order, and that's going to be High Noon, uh, starring old Gary Cooper. And uh, directed by Fred Cinnamon, who I've actually watched a couple movies of uh, just recently. Who's Fred Cinnamon? Cinnamon. Oh. I have to blow my nose. Uh, and that's from oh, ni- 1952. Sounds old. And you just watched it not that long ago. Yeah, like about a year ago. But uh, at the same time, I was like, I don't care about podcasts. Yeah. So I just watched it. Yeah. Whatever. That'll learn you. I'll learn you. So it'll be a rootin' tootin' cowboy time. Actually, oh, we, we, we could even, better than we that. We could even watch, like, there's, like, a High Noon Part 2. And, yeah. Is there seriously? Yeah. Why is there a High Noon Part 2? Well, because like, 1 o'clock came. You're better than this, man. <laughs> I'm sick. It, does, it doesn't matter. I, I've been sick on the podcast before, too, and I don't think I've resorted to the things you've resorted to. <laughs> Good night, folks. Don't, don't, don't get sick. I'm sorry, everyone.